0: Heather
1: and Donnie Mosier. Hello! Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. My, uh, Better half, Donald, he's not here today. He had a work emergency, and so it's going to be a really great show today. <laughs> um, and so I do need to say that the Relevant Recovery Radio Show and podcast is sponsored by the Matthews Help Foundation. We have a two-week detox, and if you complete our detox, you can sign up for two years of free IASIS, microcurrent neurofeedback, recovery support, aftercare, peer support, and an app. You just get so much for free, for two years, so that we can support you along your recovery journey. And so if you or a loved one, or as Donnie says, an unloved one, uh, would like any information about substance use disorder, alcoholism, benzoopiate addiction, uh, we can help. And So you can give us a call. That's one way to get in contact with us. Our phone number is 844-AND-HOPE, which is 844-263-4673. Or we have a plethora of information on our website. You can go to www.mhdrp.org, and we got tons of info there, and you can contact us through there, and we can answer any questions that you may have. And so, I want to welcome my guest in studio today. Uh, Welcome, Jessica.
0: Hi. Hi.
1: I'm really excited. Just don't be nervous. I'm I'm totally nervous. I'm not going (laughs) to lie to you. (laughs) It's very surreal right now sitting here. It's different when you get in an actual recording studio and headsets and microphones. But, so I want to introduce Jessica to our listeners She's actually a Matthews Hope alumni.
0: Yeah, twice. I loved
1: it so much. I went back a second (laughs) time. (laughs) A frequent flyer. And so I wanted to bring you on because I think your story is very powerful. And I love seeing that what happened for me getting sober is similar to what's happened in you Mm -hmm. in this last year. Because you have about a year sober. Yeah. Uh, April something. April 2nd. April 2nd, when you turned a year sober. Yeah, I just got 13 months. (laughs) There we go. Wild. And I... Never thought I would get sober and have a cool life in sobriety. And um, and so I have a feeling our stories are very similar. So let's kind of back up and tell our listeners, how did you even uh, end up abusing drugs or alcohol? How did that start and how did it progress for you? Man, that's so loaded
0: because <laughs> um, when I first... Okay, so I grew up um, in a pretty alcoholic family. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are normal, um, but our extended family are alcoholics and drug addicts so I grew up around alcohol mostly and when I would see it it just it put me off to it I didn't want to drink so that really was never a temptation for me Um, and I never was interested in abusing anything right and then um, I have like genetically bad knees Mm -hmm. and so I asked my sister for something for my knees one day and um, she gave me two hydrocodone Mm -hmm. no big deal Um, and I remember my boyfriend at the time who ends up being my husband, my ex-husband, um, uh, he asked me to get him a couple. And so I was like, why not? I mean, (laughs) because to me it didn't mean anything.
1: I wasn't, I didn't. People don't realize just, even just that, because you were in legit pain. Yeah. And you're thinking here's a medicine, you know, and people don't realize that that's actually illegal, I know. And and I mean, obviously, like, when we talk about it now,
0: like, when my sister's she's like, oh, my God, I'm the reason you're a drug addict. I was like, I know. You know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, uh, but no, so, like, I got him, too, and when I went over to his house the next time, he had an entire bottle full of them uh, that he had purchased, and so it was really progressed, like, like it was a slow progression. Yeah. It was, okay, well, we'll take them on the weekends every once in a while, and, like, one hydrocodone would make me so exhausted. <laughs> And then the more we would do it, it'd be like, okay, well, we'll just do it when we get home from work and not at work. Right. Because I was a teacher. Um, And then I was like, well, I mean, sometimes I need them at work. And so I just would like rationalize it and think. And at no point did I think I'm addicted to these things. Like, I just thought they're making me so much better. Speak
1: to that for a moment because I promise you there are people listening to this show. There's people that come to Matthew's Hope all the time that do not think they're a drug addict. They don't know they're a drug addict because you're really just trying to seek how to function in life. And you think you need it to be okay, and you don't realize what's happening. For sure. And like when I when I started using it was
0: for fun and I felt like it made me more fun around people and more social and so I wasn't a drug addict. Like I was just, I needed to loosen up. And other people drank, and people I didn't really do that, do that for liquid courage. Yeah. They say. See, uh-huh. and there
1: you go. And so why couldn't I do that with like a little pill? And I, before I was a drug addict, I was plagued my whole life with anxiety and depression and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so I identify with what you're saying because I could take a couple Percocets, and my kids weren't annoying, and, and oh I wasn't. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I was the best mom. Apparently.
0: I mean, I wasn't like right, but back, in your mind, you oh, are. Man. And it felt like I was a better version of myself and people enjoyed me more. But really, I was just talking more, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, I mean, uh, now I look at it and I mean, there was a lot of clear signs. I remember we went on our one year anniversary trip to Hawaii. OK. And we watched a movie on um, on the plane and it was about this family somewhere in the south, and they were, like, crushing up pills and snorting. I'm like, man, these people have problems.
1: Oh, you were watching The Wild. Yes, uh, White Family. Yes. I watched that. And Jessup I was, like, White. And yes. Uh, the Wild and something Whites of West Virginia. Yes. Good job. I didn't know anybody else had seen that. Oh, I love that because she's, she has a baby. Oh, and, and, and does it in the hospital. And snorting a pain pill in the hospital. You know what?
0: I'm not above it, apparently.
1: Right, because like people don't understand that that's what addiction looks like, yeah. farther down the scale, not in the beginning. Yes, and like that when I saw
0: it, I remember thinking, these people are messed up. Like, oh my God, <laughs> right? not, thank God I'm not like that. And then in my mind, I'm like, but they crush it up and snort it, and I've never done that, so oh, that my- might be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. It's so bad. So I ended up doing it, like, almost immediately, and that was wow. that was the end of that. Like, and I never ingested another pill another way. So, so. you
1: feel like you are a straight-up opiate addict. I am a straight-up anything-that-will-change-my-mood addict. <laughs> right. And that's yeah. why I, when I was trying to get sober, I didn't realize that I was an alcoholic because of how rarely I drank. Yeah. And— it wasn't until the 12 step fellowship gave me like the definition of powerlessness about that insanity before and mm-hmm. the in the allergy the craving after you put it in your body that i'm like oh my gosh yeah i it took me another year of relapses to realize alcohol too (laughs) Alcohol was an issue oh I know I've got a story about that (laughs) Um, yeah I I didn't think alcohol was my problem at all right (laughs) (laughs) because I want to tell that story when we come back from this break we'll take a quick break because uh, I know this story (laughs) (laughs) we'll be right back okay Listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with Heather Mosier and guest Jessica, who is a Matthews Hope alumni. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so before the break, we were kind of talking about trying to figure out how alcoholism plays into opiate addiction. And uh, I remember. You after you came to Matthews Hope the first time, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, you had left on good terms ish, but very early. But yeah, you left a little early that time. Yeah. Um, but tell us kind of what unfolded in the first weeks after. I don't know how soon it was. How soon was it? It was. I mean, it was pretty like, soon. <laughs> like okay, so I think it's important.
0: I was in Matthews Hope for six days, and I pretty much petitioned to get out early Mm -hmm. because I had to go back to work. It turns out I didn't even go back to work. so
1: (laughs) That's what um, always happens. (laughs) But I just
0: really thought, well, I'm sober. I have six whole days, guys, Mm -hmm. and I know what I'm doing now. You got it now. I'm so good at sobriety, right? (laughs) But truthfully, like, I had no idea, and I was so naive to exactly what it looks like when you try to live your life again. Mm -hmm. And I had to wake up every day snorting a pill. So it's like to think I could just— wake up and have a normal life is naive, but I just didn't know. Right? Um, you no, know, so I definitely got a sponsor through Matthew's Hope, the most intimidating woman besides you. It's like, perfect. And um, I met with her. When
1: someone says that, I want a sponsor like you, Heather, I send her that, them yeah, that one. Yeah, as you
0: should, because y'all both, it's like, when she talks, I'm like, I already know what y'all are going to say. It's so good though. I mean, I'm really grateful. It's exactly who I needed. Because if I would have had anybody that was nicer to me, I like there are times I just want her to be my friend and she's like, Yeah, you're being really selfish right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh,
1: I hate when you do
0: that. <laughs> but it's always what I need. Truthfully.
1: Shout out to your sponsor, Candace, and who, yes, I love who now also works for Matthews Hope. And Candace was on the radio show two times. So go yeah. scroll back to Candace's story or Candace in the hot seat and you can find out more about Candice. <laughs> Candace. Her story is awesome.
0: <laughs> but no, so I met with her for the very first time and After I left, I mean, I also left and immediately got high. Like, that was how quickly I went back out. I kind of, like, rewarded myself for Uh meeting with my sponsor, and I just met with my (laughs) ex-husband immediately and got drugs. Um, But then my parents took me out to dinner to a Mexican restaurant and got me a margarita, and they were just like, we're so proud of you for, you know, meeting with your sponsor and really doing what you need to do. And I was like, yeah, me too. Because in my mind, like, I was a drug addict. Alcohol was not my issue. Uh And so when I met with Candace and I was like, yeah, I mean, I had a margarita and sometimes I have wine. And she's like, what? <laughs> she, I was like, yeah, I'm a drug addict, Candace. Like, it's uh-huh. different. And she's like, you go to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. Sorry. Um, and so I was like, well, I just didn't know that that wasn't allowed. And she was like, <laughs> like, like, it's such a glaringly obvious thing. But at the time, it was it wasn't my issue, so mm-hmm. why would I have to nix that too? Right. So that, but I mean, it's just playing with fire for I me. I experienced
1: the same thing. Because what people don't know about addiction, and so I'll say some facts and then a couple generalizations. Uh, a generalization is not all alcoholics are drug addicts, but almost all drug addicts are alcoholics. Yeah, that's right. And. Um, my experience when I tried to get sober, I was in a, a fellow 12 a step fellowship that was a drug primary mm-hmm. and dabbling in the alcohol primary ones, you know, and I just really was looking for that identification. But I swear in the back of my mind, I was not an alcoholic. I just needed to stay away from drugs. Right. And I remember leaving work one day. I probably had a couple months sober and a coworker asked me, so are you really going to stay sober forever from like everything? And I'm like, yeah. And then she was like, but what about alcohol? And I was like, well, (laughs) that's probably fine. Yeah. That's what I believed. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. And so what I know now that I didn't know then is that if you have the disease of chronic addiction – then one of those components is the physical allergy. Mm-hmm. And so if I ingest something narcotic, controlled substance, whatever that alters me, it can trigger that allergy, which is a craving. And so I didn't realize it for another year, but every time I drink alcohol, within a short period of time, I'm doing my drug of choice. Yeah, And I just thought, i got to leave the drug of choice alone. The alcohol is fine. And then this repetitive pattern of alcohol is apparently not fine. Right. It was just, it, it did not register for a while. And so we experience that a lot of times, like, with clients that come through Matthew's Hope. Oh, oh I'm here just to get off benzos. I'm still going to drink. Or oh, I'm here to not do heroin anymore, but alcohol's never been a problem for me. Yeah, And I'm like, but it probably will be. Yeah, it's You're like, go- do you want that to be a problem? <laughs> You're you going to find out. And so you found out.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I found out I wasn't allowed. I'm really <laughs> grateful that I didn't find out the hard way. Um, I mean, I did, I guess, I mean, I was already back at it. I definitely... Thought I was being really slick for a long time Mm -hmm. and was already back out using. And I just would go to meetings. And I mean, sometimes I would go to meetings. Yeah. But then I'd just get high first. Right. And so it was just.
1: Isn't that weird? Because people think, why would you go to meetings loaded? Why why would I do
0: anything else? Like, (laughs) to me, this wasn't, it wasn't an option. I couldn't function at all. Mm -hmm. To me, I couldn't be who I am and be around people.
1: Just Without sober, it. It, yeah. It
0: just that would have been so uncomfortable. So it's and easier. so,
1: what was the time period like between the first time you went to Matthew's Hope and the second time you went to Matthew's Hope?
0: Um, it was a little bit more cloudy, I guess, because it was a little bit more muddled. With everybody knew that I had been using, mm-hmm. and so the cat was out of the bag. Yeah. that was a big that was a big secret that I would kept for ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. They could see signs more when they saw that I was, when they could tell that I was using. But I was so good at hiding and covering up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I thought I was great at it, but I mean, <laughs> I know I wasn't, but I feel like it made it a little bit harder because they were oh, like kind of hip to my game, you know, yeah. like they knew everything I was doing. And so they were watching me a lot closer. And I think that's so important. Like, my parents had my phone, um, you know, they would look at it anytime they wanted. Mm-hmm. They would track my location, and um, none of that matters. Right, you still do it anyway. like, as much as that's a great idea for some people, it makes them feel better, but it did not and matter. I just kind of
1: wanted to hit on that. You have really great parents.
0: I have wonderful parents.
1: You had a wonderful upbringing.
0: I did.
1: <laughs> and uh, your parent, you had a ton of support to navigate, you know, oh, recovery. Yeah. And none of that kept you sober. No, and if anything, their their constant support,
0: it's like you never want to think that your kid is a drug addict. You never want to think that your, your mm-hmm. sister is a drug addict. So because they love me so much, they didn't want to see that that was the problem. Like right. they wanted to believe anything else that I told them.
1: I think I remember offering to argue with your dad once. I totally did When that. Uh, I wanted to send you somewhere farther away when you were leaving Matthew's Hope the second time. I'm not surprised. And and your dad didn't want you to go that far mm. away. And he had his reasons. Yeah. Right. And they were, his motives were good, but he yeah. was wrong. Right. You needed to go away. Yeah. And uh, and I remember saying, I'll talk to your dad if I have to. I'll get him to see. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think like his biggest thing is he just wanted
0: me healthy, you know, yeah. and he he, he he has always been my protector. Like just we have such a good relationship and he he wanted me close by so that he could. Keep, Keep an eye on you. Yeah, and I mean Keep, for and, sure. And I'm like, but
1: that hasn't worked, Dad. No,
0: and it's and it's not his job. As right. much as as much as that would make him feel better at times, it in the long run, I want to make it.
1: And I remember there's quite a dramatic story about how you came back to Matthew's Hope the oh, second time.
0: <laughs> quite a bit, yeah. So okay, so my my family was done with me the second time. Like they were so frustrated. Um, and so I <laughs> knew So um, whenever they drop me off. My sister and mom just left. Like, they were done. They took my phone with them so, cause I, so I couldn't call a drug dealer, right? Mm-hmm. Don't worry. I used Matthew's Hope phone, <laughs> and I called my ex-husband and begged him to bring me pills. And, I mean, I must have called him about 30 times mm-hmm. in a couple hours. And he was at work. He left work early so that he could bring me pills. And um, I convinced them that the, he was my husband. Like, they had let me come in from—they would taken me in the back to do my intake. So I had gone out of the waiting room. And when they took me back there, you're not really supposed to have visitors past that point. But I was like, no, he didn't get to say bye, and he's my husband, mm-hmm. you know. That was a lie. You know, he's not my husband anymore. And um, he brought me four oxys. And, well, I mean, they must have been oxys in uh, some way, but they looked different. They crushed up different. Mm-hmm. And I took two. And normally, two is nothing. Right. Like, two is a, a easy day. Um, but I snorted two in the bathroom, and— like within 5 minutes they i was done like i was out but i i feel like I, <laughs> you overdosed oh for sure i overdosed yeah <laughs> um i it was ended up being like mostly fentanyl Ah, uh, yeah and so um i had had plans to lay down in my bed in this like little individual room yeah and i was going to read my book right
1: <laughs> your big book yeah yeah totally <laughs> and so okay we'll pause you there we have to take a quick break and then we'll finish this dramatic matthew's hope reentry cool. story <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier, and in studio with me is Jessica, Matthew Hope alumni, times two. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so let's pick up where we left off. And I was laughing about it just because I kind of know we laugh about morbid stories oh, for sure. and how our craziness and our insanity. And plus, I know where you're at today Yeah. and that you didn't die, but you technically... OD'd in our ER upon your second entry to Matthew's Hope. Right. So
0: I had done my drugs in the bathroom, and I guess my mindset was okay, well, this time I promise I'm going to get sober, but before I go in, I'm going to get loaded. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, in the first time I went to Matthew's Hope, I also snuck in some drugs. So yeah. Like I just, I'm a, apparently creative, a drug addict. I'm, you know, apparently and, you're yeah, a drug addict. You know, I'm working on it. And um, <laughs> so I, I did my two pills, and I had all this intention to like go read my book by myself in my room. And I am so grateful I didn't do that. Um, I ended up going out to the nurse station asking to use their phone. And I called my son's father, like my boyfriend at the time. And I have no recollection of making that phone call. I don't remember asking the nurse. I don't remember dialing. And I don't know how I made it, like how I even made it to that phone call. And um, apparently he said I was like, not coherent. I, I couldn't, he couldn't understand what I was saying. And He hung up and started immediately trying to get in touch with Matthew's Hope people, trying to figure out where I am. And then the nurse found me slumped up against the wall holding the phone. And I was unresponsive. I didn't have a pulse. And Mm -hmm. so, like, by the time they got me into a room and started trying to revive me, I'd been gone for three minutes. And so they were like, well, if you would have been gone for two more minutes, we wouldn't have been able to do anything. Right. And um, I just feel like that for sure was a God thing because if I would have just gone to my my room and read my book, I mean. You would have
1: passed away and
0: nobody would have known for at least an hour you know so um yeah and it's
1: a god thing and what's weird about overdoses in my experience too is that because you don't remember them for the most part it's not traumatic for the person that experiences it yeah and it's like it didn't happen right and so a lot of the family members are like but don't you see what happened wouldn't that scare you and i'm like but i don't remember it it didn't exist to me right no, I'm not scared. <laughs> no. and, and, you know, they say um, the,
0: the, the things that were deterrents aren't going to deter you forever, no. right? And I remember, well, I died. You know, mm-hmm. so, like, clearly I'm going to remember that. And then I'd go to some meetings and I'd hear about other people dying. and I'm like, see, it's normal. <laughs> like, everybody dies. <laughs> like, and But it's true. Like, your my my mind is broken. Like, yeah. my brain is broken. And so I'm going to rationalize things that don't make any mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. just to make it easy for me to put something in my body.
1: I know? remember your second round. And even after that OD experience. And you stayed. Yeah. And you completed our program that yes, time. Yes, in 14 days. <laughs> and, um... You kind of were like the the president of the detox <laughs> with your big book games oh and yeah. all the things that you, you, you're, you boosted morale Thank in the detox, you. trying to get people excited and involved. And I was just so confused on whether this was genuine or a stage character for you. Oh, man, it's so
0: genuine. It's, <laughs> I'm, it's, that is, that brings me joy. Like, it, it gives me something to do. Mm-hmm. Um And that's
1: the also the teacher that was coming yeah, out in you. Yeah, I think
0: so. And I mean I come from a family where we do this stuff all the time. Yeah. Like game nights are huge. <laughs> and so the idea, like, got I made a Jeopardy game yeah. with like all these trivia questions from the big book and then Matthew's Hope trivia questions like where when you can get your laundry done and was, like <laughs> and I remember I knocked on Charlie's door. I, I knocked on his door and he was fresh in there, detoxing. And he um I knocked and I said, Hey, do you want to come play charades? He was like throwing up and (laughs) actively like yeah maybe in a minute (laughs) and I just I mean I just it was fun and I really enjoyed that second group of people yeah we just all really got along and everybody had the same focus it
1: didn't feel like anybody was just there to be there and so I do remember I wanted to argue with your dad about where you went after you left us but I don't remember the time frame in between you, you left us, but did you go home?
0: No, I went straight to Laha. You
1: went straight to Laha. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in your experience, are those the th- only three times you've ever went to treatment?
0: Yes. I, I went to, you know, Matthew's Hope twice and then Laha second. I went straight after, from Matthew's Hope To Laha for 35 days, and then I went to Sober Living. Because that's
1: where I wanted you to go, was Laha and then Sober Living out in Kerrville, because that's where I I got sober, and your dad did not want you to go that far. Right. And I'm like, I'll argue with this (laughs) father if I need to. (laughs) Oh,
0: man. (laughs) I'm so glad that didn't have to happen.
1: (laughs) No, no, and I really wanted to go there, too,
0: because it just, like, I know the other option was in Kima, Mm -hmm. I think, and that's cool, but that's just not where I find peace, and so that... I was looking forward to going. I there. was
1: excited and and I so since that's your only uh, rehab experiences right. is those three, what what can you say about your experience at Laha and Matthews Hope and program and and things that that made a difference for you? I think the big okay, so the biggest
0: takeaway I had from Matthews Hope was y'all like the sober coaches mm-hmm. and I have I had really wonderful counselors. I loved them and I loved how invested everybody was there. But I got so much out of our big book talks. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I love that it was 12 step based because then I got to kind of learn about what was coming. Um, in the first round, I I did some of my steps. I think I got to like step eight, but I don't think I got to step one without being high. Right. So, you know, didn't count really. You know, not really. <laughs> um, so, but I remember sitting there in the first round at Matthew's Open listening to y'all talk. And, I just thought, man, like, I'm not passionate about anything the way these people are passionate. And I just wanted to find my thing, mm-hmm. you know? And so that really led me into feeling like, okay, well, maybe this is actually my passion. Like, Why can't it be? Yeah, yeah, right? So now I'm trying to get my LCDC and that's Very like cool. my my goal. But, yeah, I feel like I I had a—I re- I can't say enough good things about Matthew's Hope. Like, that—I recommend it to anybody. But— um. Yeah, and then going straight to Laha, they just kind of feel like they piggybacked off of each Mm -hmm. other. They really worked together to give me as much information as possible, and I just dove right in.
1: Yeah. I think that people are often scared to go to treatment. They don't know what to expect. And so for someone listening that's there, what, what advice would you give them? Oh, I mean, I feel like there might be
0: some fear behind it, which I get, but I feel like a lot of it comes from, not thinking that it's 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 for you. Like I'm not that bad. I don't need to go to rehab, but but you're not able to do it by yourself. Like yeah. it clearly, it's not working. Yeah. So I mean, why not just try? Mm-hmm. Like just hand it over, surrender to it, and say, what I'm doing isn't gonna work. And so. that's
1: what I really like about. Matthew's hope for people debating that is that we're longer than a normal detox, yeah. but we're not 30 days, but we're kind of a 30 day program in yeah. the 10 to 14 days. Yeah. And so you kind of get the best of both worlds and people that don't want to leave their job for a month can come to us for two weeks. For sure. And I, I, a lot of people that
0: were leaving, like there was a good chunk of people that went to rehabs, mm-hmm. but then there was a few that just went to outpatient and um, inpatient during the daytime, mm-hmm. I think, and then outpatient at night. So I mean they were able to do a bunch of different options just to continue their treatment. Yeah. But it didn't have to be straight up going to right. rehab. Yeah.
1: And so um so you did get sober and stayed sober since then. Yeah. April second of last year. Yes. And how how do you think that occurred? What was different this time? I think
0: I was just at a place of complete desperation. Mm-hmm. Like I it wasn't like it wasn't even that it wasn't fun anymore to use. It was exhausting to use mm-hmm. and it just created so much stress in my life and so much turmoil and every relationship was just going down the drain and I just was alone it with just me and I already had established I didn't really like me yeah. sober so it just became where I just couldn't do it my way anymore and it that was really it
1: and so you decided that you were willing to work the steps I think your mic's good I broke it <laughs> you didn't break it. <laughs> so I know that you probably did some step work in Laha because that's generally how they work too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kept Candace as your sponsor the whole time?
0: Yeah. So um, I did up to step four in Laha. And then I started over with a different sponsor in Kerrville just for a little bit. And because I was there for about three months, but we didn't really get very far. hmm um, and then I asked Candice if when I got back, if she would still sponsor me and she was like, yep, I guess, hey, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know how she has kept me for this long because <laughs> there have been plenty of times where when she, when, when I've done things, she's like, anybody else would have dropped you. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so grateful. So
1: other than that, that time that kind of ate time, the three months, yeah. once you finally worked the steps with Candace, how quickly did you work all 12 steps? I honestly don't know, but I don't
0: think it was more than a couple months. Like, because... I think it was more my scheduling, like I would put things on. And she knows me, like I'm really bad at putting off my assignments.
1: Procrastination, one no, of your character defects? No, of course not, yes.
0: <laughs> um, and so I think it may have taken a couple months, um, but I, I don't remember exactly.
1: And so you're through all 12 steps. Yes. Sponsoring other people.
0: Yes, man. I that's, uh, That was a struggle <laughs> for me. It really was because I just didn't. I didn't think I could do it. It just felt like I I was very insecure about it. And that's when Candace was like, you're being really selfish. (laughs) Okay, thank you. But it's what I needed. And so, yeah, I mean, my struggle with now is knowing, like, how much to give Mm -hmm. and how much to push and... I don't want to do it for them. Yeah, you know, I can't I mean? do it for them. But at the same time, I also don't want to just be like, well, you haven't called me, so I guess we're done. You yeah. know, I just, I've, I struggle with letting go.
1: There's a delicate balance to that. And I think sometimes God nudges me to go ahead and call that person and try to get them back on track. And sometimes God's like, you know, no, right. like wait for them to call you. And there's not always a cookie, cut, cookie cutter answer to yeah. that. And so I really have to rely on God on sponsoring. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so cool to see what God's done for you. And I think we have one more commercial break. Okay. when we come back, I want you to talk about your life today. Okay. All right. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. This is the Relevant Recovery Radio Show. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. In studio, my guest, Jessica, hey. Matthew's Hope alumni. And man, I almost get like emotional to talk about your story mm-hmm. because this is what I want for everyone. And not everyone makes it. Yeah. And, um, Men, it was a few weeks ago, I saw a video of your baptism mm-hmm. and this testimony that you gave. And I know for sure your life isn't a stage character now and that you really are profoundly changed by God. And I know that the 12 steps was one of the vehicles that got you there. Yes. And so speak for a moment about maybe some of your most impactful Experiences with a particular step or two and, and what God's done in your life and in, in you. Right.
0: Okay, so my... I think the, the step that resonated with me the most is the fifth step when I had to do my fifth step. And it's because I fought that so hard. And I don't know why. I think I just didn't... I didn't want to drudge it all up. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy being resentful. Yeah. And I don't enjoy admitting that I'm resentful. um, So... Having to dig all that up and and kind of go into my role and why things are the way they are, it just it just didn't sit right with me for a while. So once I did it though, it was a weight off my chest. And yeah. and I, doing it and then reading it over with Candice, like Candace was like, "See, and you told me you didn't have any resentment," <laughs> and I'm like, "Well," but it but it was such a it was such a nice thing to go. I have nothing to do with this anymore. Yeah. you know, this is it's done. I can let this go. And even though I might have verbally, like, said that I let it go a long time ago, Mm -hmm. it still took up space Mm -hmm. somewhere in me, and it, it influenced my decisions and my actions so I feel like that was a big one for that's me. That's how
1: you know you're sitting across with someone super delusional is when they say they have no resentment. <laughs> I just like, I love everyone. <laughs> she, got, she got so mad at me, but I was just like, I, I do. And I, that's genuinely how I felt. Yeah, they're not lying. Yeah. When, when you say that, you're not, you genuinely don't believe you have any resentments and it takes a very skilled sponsor to help them find and dig oh, uh, to find out what it is um, because everybody has yeah. something they're still carrying. No one is just completely healed and perfect. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm great.
0: No, I just didn't, I don't like carrying it with me. And so I guess by saying that I have resentments, it almost is like saying that it still holds me and it still holds you don't over admit me. To that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, no, I'm fine. Like, I don't understand why other people can't be fine. And so
1: on the other side of a fifth step, uh, you felt like you finally released the weight and the burden of all of that.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. It just, it just kind of felt like I, I unpacked my suitcase and left it there. You know, yeah. just I didn't have to take it with me.
1: Is there another step or experience you've had within your program of recovery that was profound for you?
0: Oh, man. Um, I honestly, I mean, like, I, I've enjoyed every one of them. <laughs> um, the You know what? The character defects, that one, I remember I kept having to do the prayer, you know, where you say— Seven-step prayer. Uh-huh. And the first time I did my steps— Now, granted, I was high when I did these, but— <laughs> The first time my character defects list was maybe a page. Okay. The second time it was front and back and it had two columns. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm actually sober. Like this doesn't make sense. Like I should have less. And she was like, Yeah, but you weren't honest before. And I was like, (laughs) too fair, but had I known. So, anyways, but that one was good. I had to pray that like every night. And after a while, I'm like,
1: how long do I have to pray these things away? Um, That was something profound for me. I think you and I have a similar religious background upbringing. And so when I came into the 12-step fellowship, I literally thought, what can you people teach me about God? And I had very much of a prejudice or an arrogance or a self-righteousness around that. I couldn't learn anything from a 12-step world. It was too neutral no joke Heather when they told me that this is a three-pronged disease and
0: um you have a disease of the mind a disease of the body and a a disease of the spirit I'm like well my spirit's great that's
1: always the believer's delusion yes and I was just like I've got a great relationship with Jesus no I don't if you did you wouldn't be snorting Percocets yeah you're right you're right
0: (laughs) no and I didn't I had no idea I really didn't I grew up in the church and I grew up really thinking that women in the church were fake mm-hmm. because they were so sugary sweet mm-hmm. and they knew the right words and oh God bless you. And yeah. isn't Jesus amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So I just learned the right words. I'll yeah. pray for you. Yeah. I never prayed for anyone. And right. when people would ask me for my for prayers, I would just in my mind think, I've already reached my prayer quota <laughs> and I don't I'm have good. room for Thank you. you. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But that's genuine I was just like they're they're lying because nobody feels that at peace with someone and like with and I didn't have this relationship with God. So I kind of thought, well, he's comfortable over there. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable over here. I get to do what I need to do. I'll check in every once in a while and make sure I go to heaven.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that's it.
0: Like, that's that's what I thought a relationship with God looked like.
1: Yeah, And I realized much farther into my sobriety than I'd like to admit that even though I had been saved Mm. as you know going to heaven as far as I understand it in my belief system right I know that some listeners don't have the same belief system as I do but salvation is very different than recovery oh yeah and I got saved as a uh, older teenager but the whole sanctification process of growing in a relationship and a reliance with the God that I believe in I missed that whole part so I thought I I thought getting saved was the destination turns out it was just the beginning of the iceberg and Man, looking back at my experience with the steps and your experience with the steps, I realized that I may have known the book, Mm. you know, but I had no relationship with the author. Right. But I thought I did. And the more that I worked the 12 steps and did what my sponsor and people were telling me to do, the more I really started to sense God's presence and the more I started to really hear from God. Mm -hmm. And I realized that that was the relationship and the peace that I had been missing my whole life. Right. That 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 was something I didn't
0: know was attainable. Yeah. And and so when I when I came back from the dead, I I really felt like well I have to do something different, you mm-hmm. know, and I have to try to understand why I'm why I'm here, and um, it just really felt like God had been kind of reeling me in over time. Mm-hmm. And my, our pastor talks about divine judgment, living in divine judgment, which is where. He allows you to pretty much bathe in your own sin. Like he's mm-hmm. not gonna remove you from it. He's gonna allow you to live in it. And He says God'll turn you over to yourself. Yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah, and so living in divine judgment, that's where I was for so long. So what I took as being um separated from him because he didn't want a relationship with me, it was really he was allowing me to kind of get lost in, in what I was doing and to find the sickness in it. And yeah. find the the Just the readiness to be done. Because
1: that's the beauty in the list of character defects. For the first time in my life, I had a list of the things in me that blocked me off from God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Didn't know that. Didn't know when I behaved this way or thought this way, it blocked me off from God. Yeah. Um, And so then you get this process of a way to rely on God and, and turn it into assets, and God gets to use it for good. The more And I'm a super defective person. I had a very long list of character defects. The more defective I am gives me the more reasons to seek God. Right. You know, and it's like, I want that list. I want to see what's imperfect in me. Yeah, God knows he created me that way, yeah. but it's so I can seek him. Yeah. And that's the beauty of a 12-step fellowship is really trying to ask God to stand my abrasiveness off me. And I just, the day they sent me your va- baptism video, I was at the corporate office at the outpatient clinic, just bawling my eyes mm-hmm. out because I was <laughs> so excited yeah.
0: because you're a different person. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I'm very, very fortunate because I have two little kids, and they are very young. They're never going to have to know this part of my life. Yeah. And the best part is I get to tell them about it. And, like, Natalie, my three-year-old, she knows mommy died. Mommy was a drug addict. Like, it's Mm -hmm. fine because I don't ever want her to grow up thinking that there's something wrong because her dad was as well. Because her dad passed away, right? He did. He passed away. So I passed away in April, and then he passed away in July. And um, he was just in the wrong place in order to—he overdosed, but there was nothing they could do. They didn't get to him in time. Right. So so that's going to be something that's part of her life because she's coming from two addicts. Yeah. So it's just something I don't ever want her to shy away from.
1: Yeah. And I think that helped us talking about it, even having a radio show and talking about these stories. And because you openly shared your testimony at your baptism in mm-hmm. front of your whole church. Oh, yeah. And I think it's so important because people say, oh, there's a stigma and stuff. There doesn't have to be.
0: No, not one bit. Yeah, we
1: we I mean mean,
0: about it. I think it took a little bit because like my parents did not like, they didn't dislike it, but. I could tell it made them uncomfortable when I'm like, yeah, but I have to, you know, I'm a drug addict. And they'd be like, you don't have to tell everyone. (laughs) I'm like, yes, I actually Actually do. do. Because like, this is exactly what God delivered me out of. Yeah. I, I, the bad, ugly, dirty parts of this is, is what God pulled me from. And so it's like, how can Why I would you not? not? <laughs> How can I not
1: share every little bit? So, yeah, your story is amazing. It's it's beautiful. It's a miracle, and I am grateful to walk this path of recovery with you, thank shoulder you. to shoulder. So, thank you for being here. If you, you are a loved one, me. would like any information about Matthew's hope, give us a call 844-263-4673. See you next week.